It's a privilege to be able to work, welcome Reverend Ken Honkin this morning. Reverend Ken Honkin is uh, our church's evangelist. Uh, his family has been with us for a while, and uh, we get to fellowship with them on this special day as we rejoice as uh, Macy Honkin makes profession of faith and joins as a full communicant member. Uh, but before that, we're privileged to receive the word of God this morning from Reverend Ken Honkin. I'll invite Ken up. Good morning. Uh, as uh, Michael said, I'm, I'm Ken Honkin. Some of you know me, some of you probably don't. It seems like we always attract uh, new folks here at Mission, which is a great uh, blessing and opportunity. I love to tell people that uh, my home church uh, called me to send me away uh, so that I wouldn't hang around. Um, and it's been a privilege uh, to have that calling um, upon, upon my life. Currently, I'm uh, an Army chaplain serving in, uh, at Fort Knox. Fort Knox, Kentucky. I did not bring any gold ingots with me. I just want to get that out of the way up front. Um, but it is a, it's been a wonderful time of ministry. Uh, and and God's, uh, as a family, we've richly experienced um, God's blessing during that time. But it is such a sweet privilege uh, to come back here and uh, minister the Word of God to you uh, this morning. To that end, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, or you can grab a pew Bible to... Um, Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, and then as soon as we're done with Isaiah, we'll go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the word of the Lord. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he was brought into contempt, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased it's joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling, tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. And if you would turn also to Matthew chapter 1, we will read from there uh, the first 17 verses. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, 
the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Atzor, and Atzor the father of Zadok. Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. As the prophet Isaiah reminds us, the grass of the field withers and the flowers of the field fade away, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pause together and ask for the illumination of the Holy Spirit as we hear God's word proclaimed. Let us pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, your beloved Son, our brother, taught us in your word that if we who are wicked know how to give good gifts to our children, and that hits very close to home during this uh, Christmas season, if we who are wicked know how to give good gifts, how much more will you, our loving Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We come, O oh God, as your people asking. We come as your sons and daughters adopted into your family through Jesus Christ. We come asking for the gift of the presence and power of God the Holy Spirit. Spirit, abide upon us and within us, we pray, through Christ our Savior. Amen. What stories do you tell yourself about yourself. What stories do you tell yourself about yourself? This is a very important question as we look at Matthew chapter 1. What stories do you tell yourself about yourself? That is at the very heart of the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was reading through that, I could, I could feel the dread coming off the congregation. What? 
are all these names doing here? How are we supposed to make sense of this as the people of God? Well, uh, let me share you with let me share with you a little story that I've told myself about myself. Let me share you share with you a short story um, of my own. So there I was uh, riding in the car with the family, and it occurred to me uh, that my turn to preach at the chapel on Fort Knox. Uh, was 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 coming up. It was nearing. Actually, it was last Sunday to tell you to tell you the truth. And uh, so I mused out loud with uh, Trella and the girls in the car. I said to them, "What do you all think I should preach on for Christmas for this Advent season, as it's called?" Um, it would, of course, uh, be during Advent. And so, uh, because I enjoy being a bit of a rascal uh, with my daughters, I thought I came up with something that that was clever. And I slyly suggested, well, how about the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1? And uh, they said, well, I've said to myself, you know, they'd rather eat a box of chalk than run through all these names. Ha, 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 this would be funny. And their response was, yeah, Dad, that would be awesome, <laughs> which totally blew my mind. So uh, the rascal had been out-rascaled. Uh, by his own children. Apparently, they've been paying attention for the last uh, decade and a half or so. Uh, but I share that story with you partly because I think it's funny, but also partly because of what it reveals. What I meant for laughs, God meant for business, spiritual business. As I sought to, to humor my children, God revealed that he had been cultivating a desire for himself in their hearts such a strong desire, they were willing to run through this list of 40 names, to be quite honest. A desire for hearing the story of Jesus' family history as if it were their story. And in fact, it is. In fact, it is our story. Matthew tells us a story this morning that is all about Jesus and all about us. It's all about Christ, and it's all about Christians. Now, you might be saying to yourself, pastor uh, or evangelist, whatever, chaplain, uh, this says it's a genealogy, uh, and not a story. Why are, why are you calling it a story? Well, because, brothers and sisters, all genealogies in the Bible are stories. That's how they function. Each one tells a story in abbreviated format. How humanity went from Adam to Seth, or from Abraham to Jacob, or from Jacob to the nation of Israel. Genealogies are not merely family histories in the modern sense, merely telling who lived and what happened. They don't include even every single ancestor in the family tree. They are selective on purpose because they are trying to highlight what the author thinks is important. They are providing an interpretation of events. For example... If you do the, the math in Matthew's genealogy, you see that the middle section is one person bigger. I'm sure you were doing the math as we read through those names. Um, the middle section is one person bigger than the first and the third. So you only get a four, an even 14 generations if you count inclusive of everyone in the first and third sections and exclusive of the first in the middle one. Now, is this a problem? Is there some kind of error in Matthew's gospel? No, not based on Matthew's agenda. 
And Matthew clearly sets his agenda when he writes at the beginning the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he confirms that agenda when he writes at the end, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Matthew is explicitly letting us know that in his scheme or reading of sacred, sacred history, the promises made to Abraham and David were not undone by the deportation to Babylon, but rather, but rather fulfilled despite the deportation to Babylon in the person and work of the Christ. What were these promises? What were these promises given to Abraham and David? What were the promises given to Abraham? Let's start there. Genesis 12 begins, sort of begins it all with God saying to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 15 adds more when God assures Abraham by by saying, fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. God promises Abram his, his very own son will be his heir. Gives Abram a vision of the animal halves and the smoking fire pot and flaming torch passing between them. And says to Abraham, to your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. And of course, Genesis 17 caps it all off when God says to Abraham, behold, my covenant is, covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to you your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. God promised Abraham many things, but what they all boil down to is that God was going to take Abraham, a senior citizen with one male child, <laughs> and use him to raise up nations of people, successive generations that would continue to serve the Lord. God's promise to David is much more succinct in 2 Samuel 7. Nathan says, uh, on behalf of God to David, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, will make you a house. David wanted to uh, preempt that. God says, no, I'll make your house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the, th the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline with him with the rod of men, 
but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Psalm, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. The son of Abraham would inherit a covenant with God for him and his offspring. The son of David would inherit a kingdom without end. Jesus is both the son of Abraham and the son of David. The genealogy of Jesus the Christ is the beginning of Jesus' story, how he is both the son of Abraham and the son of David. And it's also, point, it's also important to point out that despite the fact that he's their son, he's also greater than them. In Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul writes, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say, and to seeds, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Likewise, later in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus himself tests the Pharisees by asking, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said, he said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? You see, the, the Christ... Our Lord Jesus is the son of Abraham and the son of David, but he is more. He is the fulfillment of the promises given to Abraham and David. He is the greatest blessing of God to the nations of the earth. I knew it was going to move. It was a matter of time. Jesus is the greatest blessing of God to the nations of the earth. And he is the eternal king who sits forever on God's throne. We see this uh, complete fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham and David, uh, uh, even in the very numbers of this genealogy. There are three sets of 14 stylized generations. Three is a complete number, right? Three persons in the Trinity, three Abrahamic visitors, three people present at Jesus' transfiguration. 14 is a double of seven, another number representing completion, particularly in the days of creation. And if you actually count the generations, there are 13 in the first set, 14 in the second, 13 in the third. I'm not, I'm not going to do math publicly. I use my calculator on this one. But 13 plus 14 plus 13 equals 40. 40 days on the mountain for Moses, 40 years in the wilderness. Another complete number. In other words, God's promises to Abraham and David are brought to complete fulfillment in Jesus. But I want you to see something else this morning. It's also true that if you focus on this number seven, you, you, you also see an element of incompleteness. There are only six sevens of generations. Six days of creation is creation not completed. 666 in the book of Revelation is uh, the mark of idolatrous humanity, always striving to be God, but, but never quite getting there. Jesus' genealogy is a complete 
fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham and David. And yet there is this element of incompleteness. How do we make sense of that? Well, fast forward to the end of Matthew's gospel and things become much clearer. Following his resurrection, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is the complete fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham and David. But as Jesus himself said in John's gospel, I have other sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. The shepherd is the flock, but no good shepherd is satisfied until he has all of his sheep. And of course, Jesus is the good shepherd. The genealogy of Jesus, Jesus the Christ is the beginning of Jesus' story, how he is both the son of Abraham and the son of David. It is also the beginning of our story, how we are sons of Abraham and sons of David by virtue of our adoption into God's family through the love of his firstborn, our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about yourself in that way? Have you told yourself a story about yourself in which you are a son of Abraham and you are a son of David because you are in Christ. We too have been called to bless the nations of the earth as those who love their neighbors as themselves being the salt of the earth, the, the, the light of a city on a hill. Paul writes in second Timothy two, if we endure, we will also reign with him. God tells us in his word, we will judge both men and angels. We have been promised to rule with Jesus in his eternal glory. How does one come into this family? How does one join the sheepfold of the good shepherd? How does one enter the cast of characters in the story of this genealogy? It's quite a cast, isn't it, by the way? Lots of wicked kings few good ones, the patriarchs, even a prostitute, and a Canaanite woman, of all things. But of course, this, ge this genealogy is a pedigree according to the flesh, isn't it? How do you join if you're not naturally a part of the family tree? Jesus himself, in my judgment, said it best in his own earthly ministry, when according to Mark, he proclaimed, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. If you want to enter the cast of characters in the story of this genealogy, if you want it to be your story, if you want to be grafted into the family tree, you have to trust Jesus. That is the essence of faith, of believing. Trust in Jesus motivates prayer, even angry prayer. Trust in Jesus motivates worship, even sluggish worship. Believing that Jesus exists and that he is for you 
because he gave up his life as an atoning sacrifice and his death on the cross and was raised to life for your justification. That is faith in Jesus Christ. And repentance. Repentance is, is merely the other side of that coin. It's the flip side of faith. We all know we're not perfect, right? You could ask anyone out on the street, hey, are you perfect? They'd be like, no, I'm not, right? We all know that we're not perfect. But what we don't ever talk about is what I call the old R.C. Sproul question. What are you going to do with your guilt? What are you going to do with all of that imperfection? Jesus taught that our thoughts condemn us even when our actions don't. We know, we intuitively know, God searches the heart and tests the mind. By believing in and being convinced of God's mercy in Jesus Christ for us, we are empowered to take all that guilt and get honest with our creator because he's also our redeemer and our friend. We have every reason to come clean as Christians with God. Because of the Son of God, Jesus, our great high priest, because he prays for us, as we read in Hebrews. We can have peace with God. And if God can make peace with us through Jesus' life and death, how will he, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Witnessing faith and repentance blossom in ourselves and others is one of the most incredible privileges of being a Christian, especially a pastor. I can tell you as someone who served in both the military and uh, in federal prisons uh, as a chaplain, not an inmate, um, I have seen drug addicts become loving wives and mothers. I've seen uh, gang members become champions for gospel truth and earthly justice. But you know, I've also seen something else. I've seen regular people who live regular lives pass the faith from one generation to the next in very regular ways. I've seen parents praying with and for their children and children with and for their parents. I've seen people of varying levels of means giving to their church so that the gospel goes forth. I've seen men and women serving others according to their interests and gifts because they just desperately want to do something for the one who has done so much for them. If this sounds wonderful, it's because it is. If it sounds too good to be true, I assure you it's not. The genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1 is a bona fide invitation to belong. To begin belonging altogether or to begin belonging in new and deeper ways to the son of Abraham, to the son of David, to the Christ. This is the beginning of Jesus' story. And through faith and repentance, it can be ours also. Amen. Let us pray.
Father, in your great mercy, you have once again called us to yourself. Earlier, we prayed for the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. We do, imp- we do indeed ask again, O oh God, that you would work in us. That as we tell stories to ourselves about ourselves, that part of that story, indeed the centerpiece of that story, would be nothing less than that we belong to the son of David and the son of Abraham. And we belong to Jesus the Christ, that with him we will bless the nations of the earth. And by his mercy we will live and reign with him forever and ever. Indeed, it is in his name that we pray. Amen.